Uh, we've been looking at a, what it means to have a all-in faith, a faith that is just totally, absolutely, uh, 100% for Jesus Christ and what that looks like. And in Matthew chapter 4, we read how Jesus had been teaching in the synagogues, uh, healing the sick, and large crowds were following him. So Jesus sits down with his disciples on the hillside, and he begins to teach them the kind of values and the kind of attitudes that a person with God living in them is going to develop as the Holy Spirit does his work. Uh, Last week, we looked at the fact that the outworking of those values in our lives causes us to be like salt in the community. And this week, we're going to look at what Jesus says about being blessed because in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the first recorded sermon that Jesus preached, uh, he tells us what kind of people are going to be blessed by God. I mean, how many of you want to be blessed by God? Is, is there anyone who doesn't want to be blessed by God? Uh, I mean, the alternatives aren't too, too great, are they? If, if God's not for you, then I'd suggest that um, you've got some real problems. And uh, most people want to get on the same side. They want to get on with their boss at work. Uh, if your boss is against you, then work is going to be like hell. And some of you over this last year have experienced situations like that. But if your boss is for you, it doesn't matter what problems you're going to have in your workplace, you know that things are going to work out. Isn't that right? They're going to work out if your boss is for you. And the same is true in life. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us or the problems that we face, because it's going to work out. Uh, Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him who have been called according to his purposes. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus tells the disciples what kind of people will be blessed by God. They're people that are thinking in a certain way. They're people that are acting in a certain way. They're people that are living in a certain way. And so we pick this up in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and it says this. It says, Now, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to suggest to you that this is really quite important because of all the things that Jesus could talk about, of all the things that he could mention in life, this is the very, very first thing that he says to the multitude that is gathered round about him. So what does it mean? Well, the word blessed means how happy to be envied, fortunate, favored. Now, I want God's favor. I want happiness in life. And there's not a person here who doesn't want to be happy. In fact, I've never met a person who doesn't want to be happy in life. The culture to which Jesus addresses these remarks 
and the culture in which we live in have values which often contrast and are opposite to the kingdom of God values. The world says, if you want happiness, you'll find it by changing your externals. In other words, happiness is the result of more money or more toys. In fact, some of you would have heard that um, saying, the only difference between men and boys is the size of their toys. And uh, that, that's pretty true at times. Um, I saw Stephen out playing with fireworks the other night. Man, I don't know who was having more fun, Stephen or the grandkids. We want more recognition. Uh, we can base our happiness on our identity or our sense of value on, or our position or our recognition and job uh, on relationships and what other people think about us. Um, sometimes we try and gain more power and more control because we figure if, if I'm in charge, I'll be happy because I can do it my way. Uh, we strive for these things, but they don't provide long-term happiness and satisfaction. In fact, I read um, the other day a 2017 American survey of 17,000 workers, and they found that 71% of workers are unhappy in their jobs. 71%, that's nearly three quarters of all workers in the survey were unhappy in their work. And if they're unhappy in their work, they're unhappy in life. God says blessing and happiness don't come from these things. They don't come from getting more money. They don't come from having a better paid job. They don't come from having even more time off. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is not talking about the state of your material wealth, by the way. Uh, in the Middle Ages, people thought that the more poorer you were, the more spiritual you would have to be. And of course, in the 70s, with, the, um, uh, with, with a lot of the preaching, it was the richer you are, the more blessed you were going to be. So you had complete contrasts. Well, I, I want to tell you that being blessed is not dependent on how much finance we have. It's not about material wealth. But those who are financially poor live with a sense of desperate need and dependence on others. And so do those that are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means to choose to be totally dependent on God. Both in terms of our salvation and for happiness in our life. To be poor in spirit means to see that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to Him was the only thing that saved you. Poor in spirit it's the personal acknowledgement of our spiritual bankruptcy before God. It means 
to recognize that we weren't made to do life by ourselves. We are incomplete and incompetent without God in our lives. But with him, nothing is impossible. Do you realize it's only about five weeks till Christmas? Don't say it too loud, someone said. <laughs> As I was preparing this, I was remembering back to last Christmas and I had my, um, I had my uh, younger brother, Alan, up with us and uh, he'd bought radio control um, presents for um, the grandkids. And uh, so one was a radio control airplane, the other one was a um, little quadcopter. And uh, so the grandkids were, were having fun trying to, trying to work this quadcopter and so Alan decides that he'll show them how it works. So he gets hold of the controls and um, he flies it straight up, just huge height, then shoots it out over our bush. And so we've got, um, we've got an acre of bush and there's a big reserve out behind us. It goes miles out and in, in over this bush. And um, when he tries to bring it back, nothing happens. And this brand new little quadcopter <laughs> crashes and burns somewhere miles, 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 miles away in the bush. And oh, the, the poor kids, <laughs> they were heartbroken. <laughs> and the good news was that he gave them a bigger one. <laughs> that was more stable and had a bigger range. But the, the, the reality is, when that quadcopter got out of the range of the control, it just crashed and burned. It just went out there. Nothing was ever going to bring it back. And, you know, in life, when we reject God's control and we get out beyond that, we're in danger of crashing and burning. And that is what happens. Have you ever been in a situation where you've thought, I just can't do this? Someone said, all the time. <laughs> well, actually, that's not a bad place to be. That's not a bad place to be. The message translation of um, Matthew 5 verse 3 says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. How many people are at the end of their rope this morning? So don't put your hand up just yet. <laughs> all right, a lot of us. Uh, with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. That's the good news. When you come to the end of yourself, when you're in a situation where you think, hey, it's checkmate, there's always one more move to make, and that is towards God. Happiness and satisfaction and God's blessings come when we choose to depend on him. It's countercultural. It cuts right across the value systems of the world, of society which we live, which proclaim independence and self-determination, not interdependence as being something to strive for. We are created by God for God. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls find no rest until they find it in thee. J.B. Phillips, the writer of the Phillips translation of the Bible, says... There is a God-shaped vacuum in each one of us, and only he can fill it. In other words, until you come to know Jesus Christ, until you have God living on the inside, there is something missing in your life. And when there's something missing, things don't make sense. 
when there's something missing. You're always looking for what's going to fill that gap. And people will fill it with all sorts of stuff. Long-term happiness and blessing can't be achieved outside of God's participation in our lives because no matter what culture we have come from or grow up in, we are not complete, we are lacking, there is something missing when we try and live life without depending on God. And this position of being utterly dependent on God, not on self, is at the very heart, it's at the very foundation of our Christian life. All of us through sin, have lost touch with who we were created to be. But in Jesus Christ, new birth happens, and the Holy Spirit begins to recreate us from the inside out, and we begin to learn what it is to walk and to move with the image of God in us, His shadow covering us. And that is an incredibly exciting uh, life. For all of us that haven't got it all together, who still have problems and struggles, that's really, really good news. Because when you realize that you were created to rely on God and His power working with us and through us in every situation and circumstances that we face, there is a freedom that comes. There is a peace that comes in your life. There is a strength that comes in your life when you recognize that you're not supposed to do life alone. When we look through the Old Testament, we find that the success of the people of God was never, ever dependent on their human strength or their ability, but it was dependent on their reliance on God. And that's why God says in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, he says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Just for a moment, think about your greatest strength. If I was to go up to you and say, what's your greatest strength? What would it be? What would your greatest strength be? What would you... What would your greatest asset be? Is it your personality? Is it your good looks? Is it your ability with people? Is it your compassion? Is it your servant heart? Is it your ability to think through situations? Is it your ability to be creative? We have some um, wonderfully talented uh, people in our congregation. 
I want to suggest to you that our greatest strengths are God-given. But they can also be your greatest weakness. Because if you're like me, you can tend to automatically rely on your giftedness in situations when God wants us to use those gifts in total reliance on Him. Does that make sense? In other words, in those areas that we're really, really strong in, we tend to drop into those areas very, very easily. And it's in those default modes, it's in those situations, those circumstances when we're using those that sometimes we just leave God out of the situation. We can get so busy doing our thing that we forget that God's created us to live with Him, guiding and leading us from the inside out. And He wants to be part of our lives, not just when things are going bad. It's easy to come to God when we're in a hole, when we're in a fix, when we're wanting something from Him, when there doesn't seem to be any way out. Uh, that's easy to come to God. But what about when everything's going fantastic? What about when you're just powering on in life? What about in all those successes? Do you come to God in those? Do you stop and listen to a still small voice? Or has your giftedness taken over the areas that we should be giving to God. The Apostle Paul, who was uh, one of the most gifted people that we um, see in the New Testament, uh, he said this, he said, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. He says, Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power wow that's why we have such a culture of prayer within church unlimited because we realize that we can't do it by ourselves no matter what our good intentions are we've got to hear from God we've got to have God moving We've got to have God moving in our church. We've got to have God moving in our families. We've got to have God moving in our neighborhoods. We've got to have God moving in the north of New Zealand. We've got to have God moving in our nation. And we've got to have God moving in the nations of the world. Amen? And he's going to move 
in response to people who come to that place where they say, God, we can't do life without you. We need you in our lives. We desperately need you guiding and leading us. Otherwise, we're going to go the wrong way. You know, relying on God, David conquered Goliath. A shepherd boy conquered the greatest warrior that the Philistines had. Absolutely impossible, but nothing's impossible with God. Relying on God, Joshua conquered Jericho. Most of us, if we'd been in charge of the army, we would have sat down and we would have thought, okay, how are we going to take Jericho? All right, we're going to, um, all right, what's the greatest weakness of this? Wow, the walls are absolutely fantastic. How are we going to get over those walls? All right, well, we need to, we need to build some stuff that's going to get us up and over there. And we would have planned and we would have worked out a strategy as to how we were going to try and get over those walls to get into the city. So what does God do? He says, no, okay, guys, just, just walk around. Just walk around the city walls and keep quiet. That would be a miracle in itself, wouldn't it? <laughs> and so they do that for seven days. And on the seventh day, after walking around, and I guarantee there was heaps of them thinking, what are we doing this for? And on the seventh day, God said, now make a shout. And when they shouted, the walls came down. You see, when we do stuff God's way, he finds incredible ways to break through in situations and circumstances. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, Call unto me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. He wants to tell you stuff that you don't know. He wants to show you. He wants to give you keys uh, to your situation and circumstances at your work. He wants to give you ideas. He wants to cause the creative abilities of his Holy Spirit to flow not only to you, but through you. That's why so many scientific discoveries have been made by Christians whose lives were completely devoted to God. Because God knows how the universe works. He knows how to supersede the workings of the universe because he created it. But he wants us to rely on him. Gideon with only 300 men defeated an army of over 130,000. It doesn't make sense. How can 300 defeat 130,000? It's absolutely impossible. But nothing is impossible to God. All he asks for is for us to partner with him. Saying, I can do it by myself without you, God, is what we call pride. But the poor in spirit... The ones that God blesses are the ones that say, God, I can't do life without you. I need your help. I love the example. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is in 2 Chronicles 20. It's the story of Jehoshaphat. He's leading Judah. And three huge kingdom armies come against him. And the first thing that Jehoshaphat does after panicking is to call the nation to prayer and fasting. So he proclaims a national fast. And they all come together 
and they start praying. And I love Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says, God, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And it doesn't matter what situation you're facing this morning. If you have your eyes on God, if you are relying on him, he is going to make a way for you. Before we were born again of the Spirit of God, we habitually relied on our own resources and, and strength. Now that we've been born again, we need to recognize and habitually learn to partner with God's Spirit. And that's something that you learn as you grow in the things of God. You learn how to hear His still small voice. We actually have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Paul describes having the Holy Spirit within us being like a treasure. And a treasure is absolutely no use unless you use it. The record books show that one of the most miserly millionaire families to ever live was the New York Wendells. When the last of the six Wendell sisters died in 1931, it was found her estate was worth a mere $100 million US. That's in 1931. So that's, I don't know how many billion today, okay? But she, like her brother and sisters, was so miserly that she never had a telephone, she never had electricity, she never had a car. The only dress that she had was one that she made herself and wore for nearly 25 years. That is a picture of a person bound by the spirit of poverty. But we have God's treasure, His Holy Spirit within us. And He wants to partner with us in life. Will we still have problems? Yeah. But we can have victory over them. That's why Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels or in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Despite the opposition, despite the problems Paul faced, he was victorious because he knew that God was ruling and God was reigning in every situation of his life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, the kingdom of heaven is the place where King Jesus is ruling and reigning. And where he's ruling and reigning, there is righteousness, there is peace, there is joy through his presence. And every situation that we find ourselves in, 
where he is ruling and reigning, you can be sure that it's going to lead us into victory. Uh, a real key, as I was praying into this uh, this week, to learning to rely on God and maintaining is maintaining a God consciousness. What do I mean by that? Well, in, in life, it's, it can be really busy. It can be really, really hectic. But we need to train ourselves to stop and recognize that God is with us. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of of the Almighty. It's, it's dwelling in that secret place. Uh, another version said, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. I think that's the King James Version. The secret place. That secret place is that place of recognizing that God is with us. It's That secret place is that place of communion with God. You don't have to be alone to be in that secret place. You can be in the middle of a really, really busy room and still hear God speak to you. Have you ever heard, have you ever noticed a mum in a really busy room suddenly leave when her baby in another room cries? Because the mum's Heart and mind are attuned, they're listening for the cry of their child. And so despite everything else that's going around, a mum can pick up that baby's cry. That's how we've got to be where it comes to listening, hearing from the Holy Spirit. That secret place is that place where no matter what is going on around about us, no matter how busy things are, no matter how noisy things are in a sense, we, are, we have our minds, our hearts, our spirits attuned to the Spirit of God so that we can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us in every situation and every circumstance. And we can only hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us in those situations if we are listening, if we are practicing the presence of God. And when you're like that, the Bible says that the heart of a king is like rivers of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it this way and that. And you can be absolutely assured that when you are poor in spirit, when you are relying on God, when you are asking him to help rather than trying to do everything by yourself, you can be assured that he can Shut this door and open that. He can take you from one situation to another. He can, even when you're not expecting it, he can move you and he can change you and he can set his plans and his purposes in motion despite the situations that are around about. So I want just the musicians to come now. He who dwells in the secret place or the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And the shadow of the Almighty tells us that he's near. Okay, When you're in the shadow of somebody, they're near. 
They're right next to you. Matthew 5, 3 says, How happy, how blessed, how fortunate are those that choose to be dependent on God in all that they do and say. Because God will rule over their hearts, producing his righteousness, his peace, his joy. <laughs>